This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Operating sustainably in your local area, be it using local organic produce or working with other businesses who share your values, can be a key driver for your operation. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself to be an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers on what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. In this episode, I'm in Vancouver, B.C., just off Marine Drive at a cozy tasting room which features organic beers and other organic treats. Dogwood Brewing opened its doors as Vancouver's first organic brewery. My name is Claire Wilson. I am the owner brewmaster here at Dogwood Brewing. All right. And when did Dogwood open? We um, opened our doors here in the tasting room just over two years ago in uh, 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, 2015 was the first first day that we opened here. Mm -hmm. Was that deliberate? Because I can kind of pick up a bit of an Irish accent yes. off you. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Um, I'm, from, I'm from Ireland. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid, so my accent's kind of crazy. But um, it, wasn't, it wasn't on purpose. We've been waiting for so long. We thought be open before Christmas. We were brewing before Christmas. We started brewing in November when we got our brewing license. And we were just waiting and waiting. And they did this um, changeover in the way the, the LDB system worked. Mm -hmm. So if, the, if we didn't open that week, we didn't open March 17th, we wouldn't have been able to open for another month. So we just managed to squeak in. It meant that a lot of our SKUs weren't officially registered and, and stuff. So we were just opened in the tasting room. We couldn't actually sell to bars or restaurants. That was our opening day. And it makes it great for our anniversary parties every year to be able to tie back into St. Patrick's Day. That's it's a day easy when, one to remember. Yeah. It's, a, it's a day when people are looking for something fun to do anyway. So, yeah. So how busy was that opening night then? It's actually really quiet because we had no notice that it was coming. Oh. So we just opened and we, uh, we told our friends and family they didn't have any notice of events. So, yeah, it was like that for, for whole first week was pretty quiet. And it was almost like you woke up that morning, like, I'm going to open today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what beers do you tend to focus on here? My whole focus when I was d making the, the big decisions for the brewery was um, to come at it from a position where I was going to be really proud of the decisions I made in 20 years. There's a lot of things happening in the way the, like, there's a lot of changes that are happening in, in the world and where brewing beer and making beer was it was it was a reusable bottles that were washed and returned 
and the industry part of it has got so far away from that now. I worked for facilities where we were ripping out all our reusable lines because people weren't using them anymore. So it's it's pretty it's a really disposable, wasteful industry. So when I made all of my decisions, I made them from that perspective that I wanted to do the things that I would be most proud of looking back on in 20 years time. So I went with a cans and a canning line, not bottles, because cans are infinitely recyclable. The bottles come from China, purchased cheap, shipped in big containers, used once and crushed. And people, people think that they're being sustainable by purchasing bottles that they might get washed and refilled. They don't. They, they don't. Nobody's doing it anymore. Hardly, hardly anyone's doing it anymore. So that decision to go with cans and six packs totally changed the decision about the type of beers we were going to sell. It's what people want in certain packaging. Whereas you buy something crazy in a bomber bottle, you you buy chili, chocolate, banana, pepper, mushroom beer. You'd be like, okay, let's try it. You're not going to buy a six pack of that beer. You're like, that could be awful. I don't want to, I don't want six of them. So the beers that we are launching our six packs, our, our core beers that we do are all um, classic historical styles. The honey lager is just a really light, refreshing lager. It's very clean, very down the line. It's non-offensive. We have a lot of people who aren't beer drinkers, don't like beer, who, who really enjoy drinking that beer. Our fest is a 300-year-old recipe. And I love that beer. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's based on the original Oktoberfest recipe from 300 years ago from Munich. We get all our ingredients locally, but we have those roasted Munich malts that have those flavor. The yeast that we use is Weinstefan's strain. We culture it up and we use our own yeast here, but it's, it's from that. It's that same genetic strain that sets that original yeast from the oldest brewery in the world. It's a 500-year-old brewery. It's, it's their yeast strain. So that's why you get like these really classic styles of beers. Our IPA is kind of a hybrid between an English style and a, and a Northwest style. So there's way too much hops in it for an English style and there's far too little hops in it for it to be West Coast. Mm -hmm. But um, that's, it's, it's not a big hop bomb kind of beer. It's, it's all about balance. Yes. Like for me, you, you really can't. I was talking about this the other day and I was talking about how how you were trained affects the kind of beers that you like and the beers that you drink and the beers that I make then, obviously. So being taught by German brewmasters who are like purists, mm -hmm. like no, no adjuncts, no weird ingredients, no, no, you can't add anything to your beer and the balance of beer. So these really, like, I enjoy, I personally enjoy drinking a big West Coast IPA, but when you're thinking about what you kind of beer you want in a six pack, if it's a beer that is so hoppy it's stripping the enamel off your teeth. Maybe, maybe that one is not one you want six of. Maybe you want two of those and then something else. So we went for like a really well-balanced IPA. Yeah, it's got quite a multi base to it. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's that nice balance of you're getting those hop flavors and stuff with it, but it's not just like, bam, smash your mouth. <laughs> and we've got a triple IPA on at the moment. So everyone thinks it's going to be just three times the hops. It's just going to be this huge hop bomb. But three times the hops and three times the specialty malt. So it's dark and malty and rich and really hoppy and dry hopped. So it's still not that huge hit in the face. Like a lot of the Northwest brewers would brew with dextrose and sugar and stuff to be able to get that really light body with that extreme hop profile. Whereas that's um, not typically the type of beers that I enjoy. So I, I tend to go the other way with, with ours Yeah, when I'm making the recipes. So a key thing for you here at the brewery is all your beers are actually organic. What was the main decision for you to go all organic? It was um, primarily the influence of our good friends, Brian and Rebecca at Cronogue. 
they're strong advocates for, for getting everyone to brew organic and to encourage breweries to, to put one organic beer in their line. They were an amazing support to us with helping us get organized and get the paperwork together and really helped us make those connections that we needed to make with the organic farmers to be able to find the, the growers that we'd be able to get. And it was kind of a perfect time for us because um, the, our other aspect of that is local. So we buy all our ingredients as close as we can to us. So we're buying from those local organic growers, which means that BC's organic farmers, the money's going straight back to them. So it's, it's preserving BC's farmland and protecting the wildlife and the bees. Like our beers are salmon safe. It's a, it's, it became quite popular in the States and they like dead shoots have certain salmon safe beers. And that's Sam, our hop grower. Like he's certified salmon safe, meaning that there's no pollutants, no runoff, no petrochemical fertilizers that are going into that. They're, so it's, it really is protecting the rivers, the soil, the, the wildlife, the biodiversity of the land. And that's, it's really important to us that we do the best that we can. We don't try and make money at the expense of our province, of our soil and our land and our farms and our community. Like we're not buying cheap rubbish that's shipped across the world, that we're not just buying the cheapest ingredients from big corporations with very little of that gets back to the farmer, that we're prioritizing that at our local businesses because that's what is really going to build up our community here. So then in the future, that those things are available for other brewers as well. Like the hop fields, are, they only grow if people buy their hops and people can afford to pay a little bit extra for it. And we work hard to keep the prices of our, of our beer down to a, a reasonable level as well. Just because it's organic, you know, our beer sells the same price as other craft beers. It's not something that we put a premium on for the customer. So it means it's, it's a lot more difficult. You know, quite the balancing. Yeah. Act, yeah. So um, these uh, ethical, moral decisions of, of what to do with your life are not business decisions. And I think you see that when you let a brewer run a brewery as opposed to letting an accountant run a brewery. And that's the incredible luxury that I've found myself in. So how did beer find you? I, I tell different stories, um, depending on what people ask me. But um, when I was 12, my family moved to Munich in southern Germany, which in the 90s, by all accounts, was the beer capital of the world before Portland really took over. Mm -hmm. Well, there's such a rich history in Bavaria. So, yes. Yeah. And it's such, a, it's such a key part of life. And, you know, you can drink at 16, you can, you can sit down in a bar and order a beer on your own at 16 years old. It's a different, it's a different culture. So my, my parents, being Irish, let me drink from a young age and would order me beer. And I was allowed to drink beer. And that's kind of a key in my, like, adolescence that when I went, when I was leaving high school, I was trying to look at what I wanted to study. My parents wanted me to go to university. Um, I found this course at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh which is a brewing and distilling course. The first question they asked me was, is this a real course? Are you joking? And I was like, of course it's a real course. It's in the biological sciences department. It's the one course in that department where people get headhunted out of. And I promised my parents that I would always have a job or I would, uh, if they reintroduced prohibition, I'd be a millionaire. So they were okay with me choosing to go to university to study brewing and distilling. And that was it for me. Yeah, I was, um, I, I looked into distilling as well at the same time. Um, but in Scotland, it's, a, it's very much an old boys club. Um, it was very hard, very traditional, very hard as a female to make any inroads into that. So I swung wholeheartedly into beer and I have been 
working in beer. Well, there's still a bit of a old boys club mentality, I feel like, in beer, right? You know, it's, it's, it's quite welcoming. You know, I have never, I haven't felt it the same way. I suppose it's, you know, when there's like hundreds of years of tradition, mm-hmm. people are like, know your place. Whereas beer, especially craft beer, it's changing constantly. It's innovation. Um, and I, I've never felt that. I've never, I've never, like if, if people interviewed me and they, and if I got past that interview stage, I've never, in every place I've worked, I've never had that kind of resistance. Well, you can't do this because you're a girl or women aren't allowed in the production facility kind of thing. Yeah. So. So what was the first brewery that you worked at then? So I did lots of uh, placement stuff when I was at university and I did kind of like uh, projects and stuff. So I had worked in a few breweries and brewed a bit. But the first uh, full-time job I took after finishing my degree was at Meantime Brewing in London. Mm. And Meantime has done a huge expansion. And uh, they're, they're a national brewer in, um, in England at the moment. But when I worked for them, they were brewing out of Tramshed in Charlton. And we, we had six fermenters. And it was, they just won like a supermarket contract. So they, had just, they were just doing, doing a, go through a big spike in production. And it was an amazing time to work for them. They won many awards while I worked there. I got to be greatly involved in designing a lot of recipes and making a lot of, we probably made about 100 different types of beers in the, in the kind of 18 months, two years that I, I worked in that facility. And I learned a lot. I worked with some really talented, amazing people. And it was a really, a really exciting time. Yeah. So how big was the system that you did your first brew on? Oh, well, like we had the university, like the pilot system and stuff at university, which was probably like three hex, was it? I can't remember how big it was. This is probably like the, yeah, it's kind of, I often talk to a lot of home brewers who are asking me advice about how to set it up and how to do it and stuff. And I'm like, I'm the wrong person to ask. I, I started with a facility with boilers and controls and pumps. And I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the person to help you answer this question. I've always had the the whole brewery to play with. I've never had to try and build it together with hoses and plastic containers and stuff. So when did you come to Canada then? Oh, I moved here eight and eight and a bit years ago. Yeah. Did yeah. you go right here to the West Coast? I did. My best friend was here. I really pushed hard with my career. I wanted to be head brewer before I was 30. So I went and I worked for Meantime and then I worked for one of the largest breweries in the UK. And I did this um, leadership program where they they sent me around to work with the best leaders in their management training program all over their facilities in the UK and across the whole site of this huge brewery. And then I, I ran teams in two departments for a few years, got all that experience under, under my belt. And then I was head brewer for Little Real Ale Brewery in Dartmoor. And then I was looking for a break, looking for kind of a career break. And my best friend was here and she said, just, just come out. So we came out, me and another friend of ours came out in a working holiday visa. And we stayed. We all stayed. We're all still here. So you didn't move here to open a brewery. You just no, came for fun. No, I came, I came for a break. I'd been working really hard. Mm-hmm. I pushed hard with my career and I wanted some time off. And um, I, was just, I wasn't going to work in beer at all. I was just going to take a bar job and then just spend a year here and then go back to my real life. But um, just the first few months that I spent here, the scene was just really bubbling over. Like I went to some like cask festivals. And I met that kind of like the core brewing community at that time. And then I started working and then I went in to work for some breweries. It was really exciting and really fun time. I'm, my now husband, who we own the brewery together, 
I met him after two months of being in the country. So that kind of encouraged the impetus to stay as well. So what was the, uh, the drive then to open this brewery? Like what, what was that? What, what was that idea? Did you want to open something when you were in the UK or I, like how long has that idea been in the back of your head? I hundred percent have to blame my husband for this. Um, okay. cause he always in his mind had dreamed his, his dream He's a Vancouver guy was to move to the West coast of Ireland buy like a hostel, put a little brew pub in it. And his best friend, Dan, who was a home brewer for years, was going to make the beer and they were going to like run this hostel together. And that was going to be their dream come true. And then um, after Brendan met me, Dan was like, oh, suppose I'm not the brewer anymore. We've already got one. And um, yeah, so uh, he, he was, I suppose he always, like breweries in, in Britain and Ireland are, are hundreds of years old. Um, you can't just open a brewery. Breweries have been there forever. You can't just create one. Are you crazy? So um, my, uh, yeah, my husband was always like, yeah, you could just open one. So he was really pushing. And then as the whole craft beer scene started kicking off here, he was pushing really hard for us to do this. And there was a lot of customer support and a lot of like industry support and stuff at the time. So in 2012, I left the job I was working at to, to really work on this project full time and to be able to put the work into actually getting a brewery open. And it took us until 2015 to actually get the doors open. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lengthy process. And what were some of those key struggles then to get the doors open? It's, um, it's location, location, location. Yeah. Um, the first location we looked at, it was on Main and Fifth and that one didn't pan out. Mm. And then the next location, like we only, we only spent a few months on that. We didn't get too far into the process. Uh, the second location, we got right down to the, like, like ready to sign the lease. Offer was in. We'd ordered the, the tanks, the tanks we have now, we ordered for that space. Like we were, we were ready to go. And then like we could, like we couldn't get past certain obstacles with signing the lease and we had to walk away from that. So we spent about a year on that location before we got this location. And this location, we had a landlord who wanted to work with us. We had a, a like a really large space that was going to be really beneficial for the future, but um, it had been vacant for a couple of years and every bit of wiring and piping had been stripped out of it. So it needed a complete reno. So it was a bit of a, it was, it was a wait. It was a long wait to try and people are like, how long have you been here? And I always say, the tasting room has been open for two years. I personally have been here for three and a half years while I was supervising the installation. <laughs> and you have tons of room to expand back there. Yeah, yeah. That was, we, we watched everybody in Vancouver open up and max out their space after 12 months. So we, we went big. We went really big. And so how big is that system? Well, the system itself isn't too big because we ordered it for the other building, which was only like 3,000 square foot. We actually took down the, the mezzanine floors when we moved in. It was 14,000 square foot, but we took the mez down. So we've got... Um, We've got 12,000 square foot here for our facility. Mm -hmm. Did you run out of beer when you first opened? Because um, we had a really slow, terrible opening because we were waiting to open for so long. We didn't. We didn't run out. We did actually. We ran out of like like a couple of types of beer, like at certain points, like when in the first couple of months we, we ran out of honey and then then like for another week we didn't have any IPA. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we didn't, we didn't end up drinking it dry. <laughs> no. <laughs> And what is your favorite beer to make? Oh, that's a tricky one. I love, I love making new stuff because we, we sell so much of our core brands that it's, it's kind of automatic. I just, I make it and then I, 
And then I go, oh, I forgot to check it. I check it and it's perfect. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> That's got to be a nice feeling though. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's practice though. Yeah. I, I show off. Um, I was training some, my um, assistant brewer and I was weighing my hops. So I just scoop them up and I eyeball it and I shake some out and I go, that's the exact right amount. And then I drop it on the scale. And she's like, how did you do that? It's like magic. And I'm like, it's practice. If you do it all the time, your, your brain and your, like, it, you don't have to use your conscious part of your brain. Your hand almost remembers exactly how much it is. But yeah, I love doing, I love doing new stuff. I love, we, I don't have that much play to do it, but we have our our wit beer on at the moment, which was, was fun, was black pepper and coriander. And I um, hadn't made one of those for a long time. And our triple IPA, getting the recipe right for that. Because I'd had some, I had some pretty lovely triples last year. And I was thinking, I was kind of marinating through those ideas, keeping them in the back of my head of what, what kind of beer I'd like to craft when we do our next season. I was talking to Tom, I just recently hired a head brewer. I was talking about the, the next brews that we have to do. And it's written on the board in the back. It's, it says, you know, stout, fest, something fun. Cause that's what I told him. <laughs> something fun. And then keep going with the thing. So yeah, it's always nice to, it's always nice to exercise that part of your brain that you don't always get to use. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you've made an orange creamsicle before, haven't you? Yeah. So we do really fun stuff in the tasting room. We do really small batches. We make less than a hundred liters of each small batch we do. And some of them are incredibly popular, like the London Fog. People just ask us for it constantly. And uh, the Creamsicle, which is really popular, is um, it's like made with orange juice and lactose sugar and vanilla. So it has that, that, that Creamsicle flavor because uh, we use the, the base of it. We use our, our honey beer. So it's a really light beer, which is very, not very challenging flavor. It's very clean finish. That, so those flavors really stand out. And it's, um, it's good fun. And it, it's just another draw to get people to come down and visit us. And this is a lovely space to visit as well. What is the size of this tasting room? Uh, I just got the permit back from City Hall. So it's 890 square meters or 80, no, 890 square foot or 80 square meters, which is the maximum size that we're allowed to have without getting a, a restaurant license. Yeah. And so how many bodies could you fit in here? Oh, we've got 50 person capacity. Oh, right. Yeah. And this place pretty full on the weekend? It's not too, it's not too, never too crazy. Like we, um, we, we book it out for events and stuff as well, where we're at capacity and we've, we've done events where we've um, taken over the parking lot and done big events in the back and stuff. Cause we're a little bit out of the way here. I think a lot of the, a lot of the other breweries, just because of the way the zoning worked, all of the breweries are clustered together in industrial zones. We're out here on our own. So we get our regulars and we get our neighborhood visitors. And how long did you think it, it took to get those regulars in through the door when you opened? It was pretty good because of the farmer's market. So that's something that they changed right before we opened as well to allow breweries to sell at farmer's markets. And going to the farmer's market, especially the one down the road, there's a new housing development. That one meant that we could... We could pour our beer for customers. People could try our beer. We could tell them our story about who we were. We take this map of where the tasting room is every time we go and do one of these events. We print it on the back of the six pack. There's a little map there where the tasting room is. So people buy the six pack and they're like, oh, I want to know more. They can come and check us out. But yeah, it's still, still, still quiet. And part of that was the licensing as well. When we opened up, we were a tasting room. So tasting rooms are only allowed to sell 12 ounces per person per day. We couldn't sell anything but our own products that we made. We weren't allowed to, officially, you're not allowed to sell soft drinks. You can't sell anything apart from 
merchandise, like t-shirts and hoodies and growlers, and your own products. So people would come and they'd be like, oh, that was great. Can I have another glass of beer? And you'd be like, no, you can have one per person per day. So we, we really followed those rules. I know a lot of the breweries didn't, and they ignored those rules um, until they, their license changed. And uh, we, we had to struggle to get our license changed because they made a lot of changes to the rules at the same time. So yeah, so it's only really been a year where we've had, we have organic pizzas and we have wine and we've got great spirits from Pemberton Distillery. Um, we really want to support our local organic as well. Pemberton makes some great range of organic spirits and, and have ciders and, and really make it a thing. But it's really only been about a year. So I think anyone who came in those early days was disappointed that we, did, we weren't allowed to have food and we weren't allowed to do these kind of things. And, and now, now we can. All yeah. right. So come back for a visit. Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. I see your pink boots up there. Are you a part of the Pink Boots Society? Yeah. So the Pink Boots Society is the Society for Women Brewers. Started in Portland, Oregon by uh, Terry Farendorf. It's spread all over the world. It's, it's a nice kind of empowering and to remind, like, they might be the only woman they know in a brewery and that, that they can reach out to a community and everyone's been in the same position and everyone's got advice and, and support for stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty nice. Um, there's an in, we do an International Women's Day brew on March 8th every year. So the previous two years, we did them here at uh, Dogwood. The first year we did a, a red ale. And then the next year, we, last year we did a goes, a kettle sour goes, which was really, was really good. It turned out really well. Very, very happy with that. And this year we brewed at Big Ridge. And Ashley is there head brewer. She's just moved to, um, to another brewery. And it was great. We had like 17 women who work in production at other breweries all, all come down. It was a really great, great day. If uh, anybody was wanting to go down this path uh, themselves, what advice would you give them? Everyone gave me the same advice and it, it's, it's 100% true. Um, but I didn't listen to it. So I feel like I have to find a different way of phrasing that, that other people would expect. Everyone's like, it's going to cost twice as much and take three times as long. And it really, it really does. Yeah. So it's like, and we, we managed to save a lot of money because I had experience with how things were before and experience of how much things should cost of, of like managing repairs and maintenance and, and stuff. So, you know, we were, there was a lot of we got a lot of terrible quotes from companies who promised us the world and said that they'd be able to do things. And then the quotes they gave us were ridiculous. And I know a lot of other new breweries did hire those companies. And I really hope they didn't pay anywhere near the kind of quotes that, that we had got, because there's a lot of people taking advantage of like, this is new industry. There's a lot of new people coming time. into it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. my experience managed to save us a lot of money, but um, also because it's just my husband and myself that we, we don't have incredibly deep pockets. We weren't throwing money at problems to get them to go away. So then they were like, okay, then you just wait another six months and then you can apply to this. And we went, okay, and we just waited, which um, it's not a great business. <laughs> That's not, if, you, if you have more money and you keep pushing harder. Yeah, more money and uh, more time. And I, I did it all myself, really. My husband works in film, so he um, does really long days and he's not really available. So in the beginning, it was just me. Like we still have afternoon tasting room hours because when we started, I'd brew in the morning and then work in the tasting room in the afternoon and then try and get the paperwork done. And then, yeah, so it was all, um, it was a one woman show for a very long time. It's great to have some, some good employees now that we can rely on and help us grow. 
And who locally is inspiring you with their work? Oh, there are so many. And that's kind of part of the whole, the amazing support that the customers give craft beer, that there's, everyone's finding their own like little niche and everyone's like, what makes your beer different? And that's one of the first questions that people ask you. And our answer is always, we're certified organic. But there's people really focusing on certain things and like hybrid styles and different beers. So, you know, there's, there's always the core, you know, the, the, the amazing brewers like Ian Hill from Strange Fellows and Gary Lowen from Central City and, and those, um, those like who were, who were the core of the brewing industry in Vancouver. 15 years ago, they're, they're still making great beer and still constantly evolving and changing. And um, there's so many other great brewers and, and breweries that are really focusing. Like we're good friends with the brewer from Daggerad Mitch, and they're focused on their Belgian styles, but also on their tweaks and their changes. They're making world-class beer and it's, it's all happening right here in the lower mainland. So it's a really it's a really exciting time for local beer drinkers as well as us giant beer nerds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you said earlier that, you know, people ask you all the time for your advice as a, you know, for, for the home brewing scene and you couldn't really give them an answer for equipment, but could you give somebody that's wanting to start out in beer? Like what, what would be your number one recommendation for somebody that's looking to get into brewing? Um, cleanliness and temperature control. That's my one advice for homebrewing because um, as like as a beer judge, judge a lot of homebrew competitions and stuff as well. Yeah, first things cleanliness, and it's it's a whole different level of cleanliness for people who haven't worked in like a food facility or something before. It's you know it's you clean it and you like spray it all down, and you can't touch it. If you touch it again, you have to clean it again, and that whole kind of sterile technique, which is difficult at, at home, and you can't control the environment that you're making your beer in to as much a degree as you'd like. And then temperature control. It's, you can't make a lager in the summer without temperature control. It's not going to taste right. It's going to taste awful. And that's, and that's how you, like, as a, as a brewer, like, really step up your game to be able to make the beers exactly like you want to make them. If you, have, if you have a tight grasp on the cleanliness, tight grasp on the temperature control, then, yeah, you're going to make beers that taste as good or almost as good as the the commercial examples. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much to Claire for her time, especially since it was a day off when the tasting room was closed when she spoke with me. You got to go by Dogwood and check it out. Fantastic beers on tap. Even the rotators. There's always something fun on, as she says in her uh, interview there. Something fun. Brewed all the time. If you enjoyed this podcast series and you would like to support it, go to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Cascadian beer. As little as a dollar an episode can help fund this podcast series. If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can facebook.com forward slash Cascadian beer or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Cascadian beer. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, remember, support your local.